Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. with Allison Jingris, distributed through Breadbox Media. I am joined today by a very special guest. Her name is Lana Port Portolano. Did I say that correct? Whew. Everyone knows me and last names. We are going to have an amazing conversation today, which I'm so thrilled for you to be a part of. And I will have the closed captionings included when this goes to YouTube. And I'll tell you why. Well, that should always happen. But today is very special that this happens because we're talking about a book called Be Opened, The Catholic Church and Death Culture, Culture out now from Catholic University um, of Press. America Press. Of America Press. Thank you. I'm like, there's an A and I can't remember what the A stands for. Lana, thank you so much for joining me today on A Seeking Heart. Oh, I'm very happy to be here. Well, let's start with this crazy godsidence. So I, um, I'm really good friends with Father Sean Carey, which you talk about in the book. And I know he's the one who told me to get be opened because my daughter Faith is adopted from China and she's profoundly deaf. But when I received the book and I reached out to you right away, it was still wrapped in the cellophane. So I had not yet opened it which I also posted <laughs> a picture of it yesterday um, with the irony that the book is be opened and mine wasn't. The, I didn't realize we share in common that we both have adopted daughters who are deaf. So tell me about your adoption story. Uh, correct. And um, we, first of all, about the title, Be Opened. Uh, it, it, my editor made that joke early on about the title being a bit audacious that I, I, ha I have a title, a book title that commands people to open the book. <laughs> but it really comes from uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter seven. And it, it's the only, the only moment in scripture where Jesus uh, communicates with a deaf person. In fact, it's the only place in all of scripture where anyone communicates with a deaf person. So <laughs> it's pretty special. Um, and as for my adoption story, um, my daughter, who brought me into the deaf world, um, 
was four years old when she was adopted from Eastern Ukraine, from the area in Ukraine that is no longer a part of Ukraine as of recently. Um, in fact, she was from a small orphanage in Lysychansk, oh. uh, which was recently um, occupied by the Russians. Uh, she had no hearing at equipment limits and um, she is ethnically Roma and mixed with, uh, with Ukrainian and Russian. And um, so she had been living with relatives until she was about two. And then she found herself in a, in a clinic and, and abandoned. And so then she went into the baby home and um, the, the staff members there and uh, my adoption facilitator a uh, wonderful woman who was who was helping us through this process was afraid that she would um, be sent to the the special orphanage or special school that they have for deaf uh, in Kiev and would not uh, would would not receive the education that she needed to receive. So it was kind of um, a need to adopt her quickly before that happened when she wow. turned five. So my husband and I traveled and um, uh, she, saw, she thought that I would be a good parent for her because of my interest in language. And in fact, uh, she was my, my first child aside from my, my stepchild who was at that time 14. And so I just, I became obsessed with giving language to this child in a very mother-driven uh, way. And um, so that influenced the course of my life for the next several years um, and is still a part of my life today. Uh, the fact that she had no, no uh, language at all, no sign, no, yep. no nothing. my daughter, nothing. nothing. Like yeah, she gave so, come up and she'd kind of uh, growl at you if she was upset. Um, uh -huh. she, she was so frustrated. I don't know if your daughter was oh. like, my daughter was so frustrated. Her behavior when we first got her home could be very unruly and very difficult. And it was just the, the frustration. I can't imagine not being able to tell somebody the simple thing like, I need to go to the bathroom or I'm hungry or I just want to go to bed. Like, she had no way of expressing these things. Mm -hmm. um, it just, it, it was like overwhelming. And I was so mm -hmm. grateful, I'm sure you feel this way too, that God would call you to such a beautiful mission to be a part of this um, amazing young woman's life. Like sometimes I think, I hit the jackpot. She may <laughs> not so much. She may have wanted to play another lotto card, but I hit the jack jackpot with her. <laughs> and we actually, uh, God had revealed to me that we would be um, adopting a deaf child in prayer three years before we actually were matched with her. So my sons and I, biological sons and I, had started taking American Sign Language. Uh, they were homeschooled at the time to, uh, I knew, I knew that this language was either this uh, this learning the language beforehand was either just going to be something wonderful to keep our time busy until we adopted or i knew more strongly that this step out in faith and trust to learn this language so i could communicate or teach this child to communicate when we were matched with a deaf child would glorify god and that is exactly what it has done. Now we chose American Sign Language, but you chose a language that I've actually never heard of cued speech. Can you tell me just a little bit about that? And then I wanna dive a little deeper into the book. Well, initially we chose ASL before we 
before we went on our adoption trip. Um, and, uh, and then later we switched to English via cued speech. So the language was actually English and the mode of uh, communicating the language was, was cued American English. And okay. um, so, but we, we didn't exclude signs. We had many friends who signed and she added a full course of sign language by middle school. But I was very concerned that she have English without limits and be able to read without limits. So, um, so and also because it's my native language, I felt, I felt that I would be able to provide uh, complete saturation in English if only she could receive it. So, um, I met some deaf people who grew up using cued, uh, cued speech and had amazing um, written uh, English skills and uh, amazing reading skills. Um, so I talked to them about it and began talking with others in that circle and decided to really commit to it. It's basically um, a system of, uh, of eight hand shapes. They, they look like this, like, one, one, two, three, four, five. Whoop. There we go. <laughs> They're very simple hand shapes. And then the hand shapes paired with what, what the consonant looks like on the mouth makes a consonant sound or make, represents a consonant. And then the, the placement around, there are four placements around the mouth that represent a vowel. So basically, it's a way of um, making visual phono uh, phonics, a phonics system. Oh, that and is so cool. It's and amazingly, um, it was invented by a man named Oren Cornett at Gallaudet University in the 80s. And, um, and so uh, in, in, at that time, he tried using it with with children and it had brilliant results it's not very popular in the deaf community yeah. because american sign language has a whole culture attached to it yeah. and a whole political and historical past that's very important to the deaf community yes. and many people uh, and, you know it takes time to understand these kinds of things even even sign language and how sign language works takes time to understand visually. So many people in the deaf community are have some misconceptions about what cute speech is or think that it would exclude learning sign language or that it would compete with sign language and it doesn't. Um, it just enables a deaf person who grows up with it. Kids, you know, it, I cued everything that I said to Lena and cued everything that everyone else said and cued environmental sounds wow. and everything so that she just absorbed the language like um, any other kid would through regular use of the language that, in daily life. That and then she was able to learn to read phonetically. That that's crazy and amazing. Like, cause my daughter is now 16. She is cognitively disabled, mildly cognitively disabled. So um, her reading level is only like third grade. Um, and I, I just think, so I see her struggling to learn the language, the, the written language of English. Yeah. So I just yeah. find that very fascinating. Um, but also what's been really fascinating for us and, and I'm sure for you was teaching their faith 
my daughter's actually named Faith. So teaching Aww. Faith to Faith, because it took all the faith I had in the world to take this anxiety-ridden woman all the way to China to bring home a three-year-old child who was deaf. So yeah. um, for me, it was teaching her the language, uh, the, the, the faith that I found a little bit more challenging because theology is a ology. So like the tangible, so it's just finding the tangible. In fact, my new book is Encountering Signs of Faith, and it is about our journey between um, adopting her and um, sharing the faith through the tangibles. So Lovely. I, I, our, our, our books are so beautiful tandem together. Yeah, um, we should go on a book tour. <laughs> I love this idea. I love this idea. We're going to bring an interpreter and we're going to... Um, oh, wow. I can see it already. <laughs> my wheels are turning, Lana. My wheels are turning. Mm -hmm. But it was... It, and it's been really difficult for us. We live in a very small diocese. In fact, she's the only known person I know that's... The, Catholic in my diocese who's deaf. And I know she's not mm -hmm. the only one, but she's mm -hmm. the only one we've encountered. And when God called us to uh, adopt her, I, I started learning. Actually, Father Sean Carey is the one who taught me how to interpret the mass. Mm -hmm. So for many, for, for forever, for the last 12 years, I have been her tie to the mass. It was um, the blessing during the COVID shutdown is that we watched Father Sean's masses uh, on, on YouTube and she loved because the 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 homilies made more sense to her they were from her cultural perspective they weren't interpreted they were right from the priest's hands and i love that i wish he was just a squidge closer so we could go um, weekly to his masses and i know some people would say well if you really like you really stepped up and were mom of the year you'd bring her but anyway <laughs> i know i'm very difficult i'm really hard on myself but the, the whole idea of creating this community, like the Catholic Church is a community and deaf is a community and bringing them together and share. You, you are so blessed to have a community um, so rich and, and, um, and, and active right is it near you or are you the good mom who drove the yeah i well we lived in around the washington dc area so there's a very active uh deaf community because of gallaudet university and there's also a large uh deaf population centered around the two maryland school for the deaf um campuses so then frederick there are quite a lot of deaf people there are just a lot of deaf people in maryland and in dc um and my child, uh, really, I really wanted her to have deaf role models uh, because even though I was a good language model for her in English, she needed uh, deaf role models who were adults who could show her what was possible uh, for deaf people, anything. <laughs> You know, and so I wanted to expose her to a lot of uh, deaf culture, um, all different kinds. And also, yes, I wanted her to have the faith. So I needed good role models for her who were deaf and who were Catholic. And so we found that uh, at um, St. Francis of Assisi Deaf Catholic Church in the Archdiocese of Washington. And there was a deaf priest there um, at the time, uh, Father Joe Bruce, he's a Jesuit. And there were other hearing priests and um, and many, just so many wonderful Catholic people who are my friends and my brothers and sisters now. And, um, 
and I, you know, she, it was Lena who opened this world to me. She opened me and, uh, and I was able to see and learn so many things from the perspective of uh, someone experiencing deaf culture and learning from this point of view. And, you know, I became fascinated with preaching and the mass itself in sign language. I'm a convert. And um, so I, I thank God that I was Catholic when Lena came to us because the visual nature of the mass and the sign language of the mass that is full of signs and symbols is something that uh, I think translates in a very special way uh, in American sign language. And I think it's very profound because um, everything that you see in the mass is a sign of God and the Eucharist is a sign in a very special way and it's real. And so, um, you know, a deaf person's body signing is both a, a real human being and that's present there and is signing the meaning that, you know, the words from scripture and from the mass that were given to us through God. So it's a profound thing to watch and to be a part of. And I love it very much. And it's always going to be part of me now. Oh, I completely agree. I share in Encountering Signs of Faith the the first time I had to interpret the passion on Good Friday. And I mean, and unfortunately, a lot of people do watch. I, I, I love my church because I can squish all the way over to the side so she can see, but I'm not, you know, impeding people um, from the most important part of the mass that's happening with Jesus um, in the Eucharist. But um, I was like, interpreting and you're like your whole body is involved and you're living this through your hands through your face through your body mm-hmm. and i'm trying to hold back the emotion of like it was just overcoming uh with me and people will come up to me later and say oh my goodness you get so into that and and like no this is the language the language is just mm-hmm. expressive and beautiful mm-hmm. like i wasn't being theatrical Mm-mm. i was using american sign language i was communicating this this amazing um moment in the gospel to my daughter and Mm -hmm. it's just such a gift and i mean and i am a clumsy like my daughter will tell me all the time mom i love that you try so hard but you're not the best signer and i get it because not my (laughs) native language like right it is not so i love when i get to be part of the mass with native american sign language users because it is glorious it is just and to watch Father Sean, uh, you know, uh, celebrate the mass. One of the things I noticed just recently that I had, I don't know how I missed it before, but when he does the gospel, he actually blesses his forehead, his mouth, mm-hmm. his heart, and the palms of both of his hands, which is mm-hmm. just, just these it's little beautiful. Things. It's beautiful. Um, I don't see why that wouldn't be something that and that all deaf people, even while doing the mass, would do. I mean, hearing people do like this. So, you know, occasionally I have done it just to see yes. what it felt like, you know. <laughs> I have to say, I have too. I've added it since seeing him do that with I'm going to interpret the gospel. Of course, I want to bless my hand. Mm-hmm. So be open. The Catholic Church and deaf culture why this book, Lana? Why? I mean, it is a beautiful, just in, 
talk about inclusive, you talk about history, you talk about the current culture and evangelization. Like, I think you've covered everything and it's such a great engaging read, but, but why did you feel called to write Be Opened? Well, when I, when the, the idea uh, first occurred to me, I thought that it was going to be about preaching the gospel in sign language um, uh, and particularly homiletics. I was fascinated with how the audience or the, I'm sorry, Father Sean Carey would say the assembly. He corrected me about that early on. <laughs> but my background is in rhetoric. So I always see the group of people who are listening as an audience. But in church, we have an assembly or a congregation. But um, the, the way that a deaf assembly is just hanging on every, they're so caught up in um, a, a really good homily, uh, in a way that um, many times hearing people are not, even with a really good homily. Uh, and it's because they are physically involved in receiving that language and, and in a very different and spatial way. And, uh, and also because language and communication is so precious wow. in, um, in the ASL culture, in deaf culture. Um, Anyway, I was fascinated by that because my background is in uh, rhetoric and communication in a cultural uh, context. Um, but once I started studying that, then the other side of me that's a historian kicked in because it was just a much bigger story. And it was a story that begged to be told. It's not only about ASL and preaching in sign language or doing the mass in sign language, although the whole books can be written about either one of those things. Um, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it, it was a story about um, sign language and deaf culture in the church. Uh, from all the way back, really all the way back to scripture in that moment that I talked about when Jesus yeah. actually communicated with the deaf person. But in the Middle Ages and, you know, when there were monastery uh, schools in the in the uh, 17th and 18th centuries and then uh, and then the flourishing of, of sign language in France all the way up to contemporary times, there were connections between people and between things they had written between their in their ideas, their philosophies of education, individuals um, like Laurent Clerc, who moved from um, from France to America and had such an, a, a profound effect on deaf culture as a founding father of deaf culture in the United States. Um, all of that has to do; it's part of church history and the and the impact of the church um, in culture. So I think that uh, deaf culture is it's it's so much a a part. Uh, it, it, the church history and deaf culture are really linked inseparably. And so I wanted to really focus on that and, uh, and show the connections across time. And that I thought argued um, for itself historically that, 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 that because deaf people have this historical connection with each other because they um, share a language or a family of languages, um, they have arts and a re and religion that are signed and and all of this points to its being really um, a, a cultural group and 
and and because of that, then the church um, the church needs to be aware of that and uh, and to understand it as uh, as this particular culture is included in evangelization. I could not agree more. The idea of of including them in evangelization, and I love that my diocese, the person that our secretariat of the of the new evangelization, has already reached out to me and said, "I don't know enough about this, and I want to be better at it. We need to have a conversation." I thought that was just so um, beautiful of him, and and really forethought. And and I was just, I don't know, I just love my little diocese. So I'm just, we're coming to the end of our time and, and I'm going to put my little marketing hat on for a minute. And I'm going to think about the consumer who sees this book and says, I don't have anybody deaf in my life. Tell me, and, and, I, and I know, because I didn't either at some point in my life. And I see, I've read the book, so I know how important this is, as you just explained, for the Catholic um, culture, for the Catholic church, this is part of our faith, but what would you say to somebody who said, well, that's a great book, but I don't really know anybody deaf. Should I read it? Um, anyone who is interested in church history or in uh, mission activity, the book is chock full of missionary stories that are really exciting and having, and, uh, having to do with going to the margins of culture in many different countries around the world and doing really heroic things. So there are terrific stories uh, that come from the deaf community and, and, and really are described in, um, so that hearing people can read about them um, uh, in this book. Uh, and I think that it doesn't matter if you have someone in your life who is deaf or not, that the stories themselves are, are carry themselves. They're, they're interesting stories. Um, I mean, it's a university press book and it's a, it's a kind of a dense history. So uh, it's a book for people who are really interested in serious um, church history. Um, so, uh, it, it, there, there are pieces like, you know, the, the part in the beginning about my daughter that, uh, that really especially will appeal to people who are connected to the deaf community, but I think it's a good introduction to the deaf community too. And, um, so, uh, it's just wonderful to see things from a different perspective and the church the whole church belongs to every one of us who are Catholics. So the richness of, uh, of the mass and sign language and um, prayer traditions and this aspect of the cultural history belongs to us as hearing people as much as it belongs to the different deaf communities around the world. And it's something that unites us in a, in a, um, a way that deaf, deaf people can can be separate. So can, can communities of deaf people often, because of necessity, because of their language, have, are often separate uh, in a lot of ways from hearing people. And uh, and it goes two ways because the, the hearing world excludes them and then doesn't know anything about them because they don't understand sign language and they're different. Um, but the Catholic Church is inclusive. And um, so I think that one of, one of my aims in writing this book was to show that this is 
part of us. We, we this is part of who we are as Catholics. I absolutely loved this book. I think you, you, I'm a history buff as well and an English major. So maybe that's why again, we have more in common. Um, and I want to just encourage everyone that if you, if your parish has a library, buy a copy of Be Opened and add it to the church library. If you're looking for your next present for your pastor who wants to evangelize to everyone, like that's his, he's made a, a he's given his life to bring people closer to Christ. And imagine if you give them this tools to know more about a culture that perhaps he hasn't yet been introduced to. By Be Opened, the Catholic Church and Deaf Culture from my guest today, Lana Portolano. Did I do it right again? That's okay. right. <laughs> the Catholic University of America Press. I will have links to where you can purchase this. And I also will have a link. I love that in here, Lana, that you share that there is um, a companion website to your book, icfdeafservices.org, be opened. So I will make sure that gets linked as well to our show notes. Lana, thank you so much for making time this morning to spend, this, to spend time with us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to A Seeking Heart with Allison Jingris, distributed through Breadbox Media. God bless.